Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, Chase, we are uh, wrapped up with the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to try to circle back around here and uh, look at some themes. Uh, and we're going to be looking specifically today at the cross and salvation. Yeah, we're, uh, we're doing a bit of an after show for these next few episodes, these next few podcasts. Uh, much like when you watch a TV show, when you really love it and you enjoy it, you're looking for all the content that you can get. And so a lot of times the producers, they'll put out after shows and they like interview the actors and they go back and they revisit some of the favorite scenes and stuff like that. Unfortunately, we don't get to interview personally those who we read about in, in the Gospel of Mark but we do get to go back and talk about some of our favorite moments. We get to look at major themes and just kind of scale back and look at the gospel of Mark as a whole and look at some of the major things there. And so uh, I've been excited about this portion of the, of the season of the gospel of Mark to get to just zoom out and look at all the big things combined together. Yeah. Cause I mean, when you read through the gospel, especially for the first time, you're, you're left with like, Whoa, that was amazing. But what does it mean? How do, how do I connect this to my life? And so we want to try to kind of go back and hit some highlights and tie some threads together in a way that we can look at this and say, hey, okay, like this is what this means. Because the Gospels don't so much tell us what all it means. They record the history for us. There's little snippets of what's going on. But it's not really until we read like the letters of Paul. And of course, we'll go into some of those in the show today to talk about what does this mean? Uh, what's the significance of the cross and of the death of Jesus? Because so much of Mark has been the march toward the cross. So if we go back to the beginning of Mark and just think about what the message has been from the get-go, um, John the Baptist is introduced at the very beginning of the book. And in verse four of Mark one, uh, it says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then if you skip down to verse 14 and 15 of Mark 1, it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Yeah. And on top of that, so you've got John the Baptist preaching about repentance. You've got Jesus telling people that they should repent. And then in chapter six, when Jesus sends his 12 disciples out in chapter six, verse 12, it says they went out and preached that men should repent. They should repent from their sins. So clearly it is a consistent message throughout the gospel of Mark that people need to repent from sin. Um, and so that kind of leads us into like the first question as we think about the cross and we think about the gospel of Mark. What is sin? Like, why is sin such a big deal? If Jesus is telling us that we need to repent from sin, clearly he's identifying sin as a problem. Right. And sin, I think the most helpful way I've heard it described is like it, it is a, a crime against God. It is breaking God's laws. Um, it's probably the simplest way that we can understand it. Uh, yeah. when, when God has said, okay, do this, and we don't do it, or God has said, don't do this, and then we do it. We've broken God's rules. We've broken his laws. We've sinned against God. Yeah, disobedience, I think, would be another way to kind of look at that. 
Yeah, and this is really a universal moral truth. I mean, people have written about this, that if you go to like any culture on earth, even though if they don't know the Bible and things like, people realize that there's good and there's bad. There, there's, there's things that we do that we feel guilty for, that we realize that, that that shouldn't be done, that's wrong. And even if that's a very rudimentary understanding, we don't have the details given in our conscience, everybody realizes this, that like there's things that I do that are wrong and bad, and then how do I, how do I make that right? How do I make up for that? Um, and there's a lot of false concepts out there, but this is one of the primary problems that the gospel, the good news is dealing with. How can I be free from sin? How can I be back in a right relationship with God, who is the source of justice and, and righteousness? So when we think about this, the problem of sin, it, it's tied from the very beginning of the Bible to the problem of death. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? You had one job. Um, don't eat this tree. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. And of course, they, they do the one thing that they're not supposed to do. But in Genesis 2, verse 17, or go ahead, Chase. No, I was just going to say, that's what I was going to read. It's just God makes it very clear, verse 16, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat. Great, you can eat from any tree, you know, verse 17. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Uh, so there's clearly God has not only outlined for them what they can eat, but he's outlined for them what they can't eat. But on top of that, God tells them the consequence of what will happen if they do eat of the tree that he told them not to. Uh, and that's something that I missed for the longest time. He, he, he gives more than just the do and don't. He says, if you don't do what I said. Here's the consequence. And of course, we'll see that they put God to the test about that. Right. And I often wonder about like that moment when they ate the fruit, like Eve eats it and then she gives it to Adam and he eats. And it's like, we're still here. Like we didn't, we didn't fall over dead. Um, and there was a death that happened. And I think it's helpful here to point out that there are different kinds of death in scripture that there is uh, physical death, of course, that when our body stops being animated, when, when our, our spirit and our body become separated, that is the idea of spiritual death, or excuse me, that's the idea of physical death. Um, but then the idea of spiritual death, what becomes separated when we die spiritually? Yeah, there is a separation from God. Uh, and this is really detailed for us after the fall of man. In Genesis 3, after God comes to them and is getting them to fess up about their sin, about you know, telling God that we ate of the tree that you told us not to, there's a series of curses that God will give out to the woman, to man, and also to the serpent that deceived them. But we learn that after all that had happened and God makes clothes for them, it tells us that uh, in verse 23 of Genesis 3, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. And so God drove man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And so that there is this picture of being cut off from God. You're no longer in a relationship with him. You're no longer in the garden that he created for you. You've been cut off from him because of your sin. Um, it's just a very good like picture of that in, in the early Genesis account. Right. And really, this is the whole story of the Bible. Um, it is, the Old Testament is the story of God working with Israel, his people, and their failures and triumphs and God's mercy toward them. 
but it still is not the full picture of salvation that we need. And that doesn't come until Jesus. And as we're looking at the beginning here, uh, we see it in Adam and Eve's case. They made a choice here. The serpent was deceiving him. The serpent was trying to entice him. But it was Eve and Adam who made the choice to sin. And to, to kind of further that point, in Genesis 4, whenever Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel, God knew about the anger that Cain had in his heart. And so the Lord goes to Cain and says, if you do well, in Genesis 4, 7, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. That's, that's out of the mouth of God. He's saying to, to Cain, you have a choice here. Sin is crouching at the door. You can make the choice to do what's wrong or you can make the choice to do what's right and you'll be well in my sight. But of course, we learn that Cain makes the choice to do what's wrong and he kills his brother Abel. So from the very beginning, Sin, sin is wrong. It separates us from God, but sin is also a choice that we make. Right. And the question becomes when, cause we've all made that wrong choice. Yeah. We've all chosen to participate in sin. So how do we, how does God undo that? How, how can God forgive us of our sin? Um, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, um, Jesus is this is kind of one of those mission statements moments in Jesus ministry. The disciples have been uh, calling shotgun. <laughs> we want the best spots in the kingdom. And he's yeah, like, you yeah. don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, you're going to suffer for me, but to sit at my right and my left, like that's not mine to grant. And he's just like, look out the, 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 the nations, you know, th- they're all clamoring for the top spot, but it must not be that way among you. And so at the end of this in Mark 10 in verse 43 through 45, uh, Jesus said, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as, as a ransom for many. Uh, that last phrase, to give his life as a ransom is really key as we understand this picture of salvation in scripture. Okay. We've sinned. We recognize that we we're in a, we've broken our relationship with God, but how can God make that right? How can he erase our sins and bring us back into a relationship with him? And this really goes back. We have to understand the nature of God because there's a lot of caricatures of God that are floating around out there. Like, Oh, well, God is just loving. And he's like this grandfather. He's like, Oh, I know what I said, but, don't worry about it, you know, or there's these pictures of God. That's like, well, you better just live perfect because God is waiting up there to zap you. The second you put a toe out of line, like that's it. And it's over. But what, what is God's nature and and how can God make us right? There's a really helpful passage. I think about in Exodus 34, where Moses is on Mount Sinai and there's the Ten Commandments and all the stuff going on. But one of the moments that's most powerful in this whole sequence is when God makes his glory pass before Moses. Moses wants to see God. And he says, you can't see my face and live, but I'm going to make my glory pass before you. And listen to this description uh, that God has of himself, because this is really key. Notice the two parts of God's nature here. Exodus 34, picking up in verse 6. The Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. <laughs> so this is a, just a powerful moment that like puts Moses on the, on the ground. And what are these two parts of God's nature? The first part I think is the, the, the merciful side of God that a lot of people, they love to emphasize and they should emphasize that, that God is compassionate and gracious is what the new American standard says there. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. That's the new American standards way of saying steadfast love and truth. God is all of these things. He's patient. He, he wants to forgive. He wants to do all those things. And so he's patient waiting for those to, to humble themselves before God. Just like Moses did after this. Right. But at the same time, the same God who is a God of mercy and love and patience, he says he is not going to clear the guilty. And he has to punish sin. Like he has to. He can forgive it, but he has to punish. So it seems almost like these two parts of God's nature are, are contradictory. How can he simultaneously be patient and loving and merciful, but then also be a good judge? Because, I mean, if you're in a courtroom and the judge, if it's like somebody he likes who's on the stand, he's like, oh, no big deal. You know, I'm going to let you off. I'm not going to give you the penalty that the law says. Well, that's a merciful judge, but he's not a just judge. But on the other hand, if like he throws the books at every single person and like never has any mercy, it's like, wow, man, that's just a harsh judge of wrath. And that's all he is. How can God be both of those judges at once? <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the question of the gospel. And it's where yeah. the cross comes in. Yeah. Cause on one end we see ourselves in both boats. We're like, okay, so I've done what's wrong and everyone else in the world did what was wrong. They made the choice to sin. Well, God just needs to destroy all of us. He just needs to kill us all. And uh, we should all just be judged for the sin that we committed. And I get that. Like he, he should do that. And then there's part of us. It's like, but at the same time, all of us sinned, like all of us messed up. Surely he can be just a little bit gracious toward us. Surely he can find a way to just give me a little bit of mercy. And that's the tension that I think God felt. And uh, he, he found a way to be both just and also the justifier at the same time. It's borrowing language from, what is it, Romans 3? Um, and so that's, that's such a cool idea. And so, Stephen, how is it that God is able to do that? How is he able to punish sin and yet at the same time forgive sin? Yeah. And this is really a Bible-wide question. We're going to do a short treatment of it here, but this deserves a lot more time. Um, there's some profound things to think on here. In, in the Old Testament, just to briefly touch on this, um, in passages like Leviticus 17 and verse 11, we find out that there were animal sacrifices. And these animal sacrifices, the key element is that there's blood that's shed. Back in the garden, God said, if you sin, you're going to die. What represents life or a loss of life is when, when we bleed out when blood represents life. And so Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. When there's sin, when we've committed a crime against God, 
the death penalty has to be paid. And what got allowed to happen in these animal sacrifices is there was an innocent life. Again, it's not that animals don't sin like we do, but it's a sinless life in that sense that would represent atonement being made. Because there's blood that's shed. There has to be blood if there's going to be forgiveness yeah. of sins. Without the yeah. shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Yeah. So someone, or in other words, someone is dying or something else is dying in your place. Its blood is being shed to the point of death when that really should be you. So God, he, he makes this, this exception in his law that says, well, if, if something else can take your place that is sinless, then I will forgive you. Right. And we find out in the New Testament that really all of those sacrifices, the millions of animals that were slain in the Old Testament, they didn't actually pay for sin. It was what God asked the people to do by faith, but the blood of bulls and goats can never actually atone for our sin. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. And there's no human on earth that could do that. There's no perfect blood. Like we, we all have sinned. And so God provides for himself the perfect lamb for the sacrifice in Jesus. And I think the place to go here is Isaiah 53. I know we read this, um, I think in our episode on the cross and uh, this is profound. This is worth meditating on, but let's, let's just read through a part of this chapter. There's a lot to talk about, but I want to zero in on Isaiah 53 verses four through six. You got that chase? Yeah, sure. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us is turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So, so this is the significance of the cross. Like, have you ever asked, like, ask question, like, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just, like, forgive us and, like, wave a magic wand and say, like, oh, you're good. Like, sins are forgiven. No, God can't do that and be just because there has been no justice served. The, the penalty for sin has not been paid. He yeah. can't be a good judge and just overlook our sin. Yes. But what uh, happens to our it. sins and our iniquities in this passage? They're, they're taken away. They're put on someone else. They're laid on Jesus, um, exactly. I heard someone once say, uh, a good brother in Christ named Paul Earnhardt, if sin doesn't matter, then grace doesn't matter either. Uh, I thought that was pretty powerful, just kind of in the context of what we're talking about here. Yeah. But God right. was gracious. Um, he, he knew sin had to be punished because sin was serious. And so he was willing to give up his own son for that reason. And this is kind of where the word propitiation, some of you might be reading in your Bibles and you'll see that word pop up every now and then. It's the idea of some gift being offered for someone else's wrath to subside. God is angry at sin and there needed to be some type of gift given so that his wrath would subside. But the problem was none of us had anything that we could offer up and give God that would make his wrath subside against sin. And so God said here, I'll give you the gift to give to me. And it was Jesus Christ, his son, the only one that was perfect and sinless enough to take on the sin of the entire world. 
And so this text in Isaiah 53 is illustrating that for us. Our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Uh, we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, pierced through for our sins, crushed for our sins. Um, all of it's focused on what he's doing for us. Yes. I mean, I just, it's helpful sometimes to put your name in this passage. Uh, you know, he has borne Stephen's griefs. He carried Stephen's sorrows. I mean, this is personal. And this is why when we read the gospel of Mark and get to the end, it's like, wow, like this wasn't just like a, an impersonal cosmic thing. Like, okay, well, God made justice. It's like, no, like he died for me. The sins, I mean, I can think about my own sins. I'm ashamed to think about those. But this is the picture of Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many, to pay the price, to bear the wrath. To, to, it, it's just powerful to think about that God's justice is served at the cross, but also God has mercy on us at the cross. So these two parts of God's nature, his mercy and his justice are perfectly served when Jesus dies in our place and Jesus pays the penalty for our sins. And that's the idea of a ransom, right? It's like the, there's this thing that needs to be paid and Jesus has paid the, the, the price. We could never pay the price for our sin, the death that our sin deserves. And so this is all wrapped up. I know we talked about this briefly, uh, but there's this moment in Mark's gospel when Jesus is going to the cross and the soldiers are mocking him. And they, of course, mean this in a demeaning way, but it's, it's amazingly appropriate. Uh, Mark 15 and verse uh, 17, uh, and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And going back to Genesis 3, the first time we ever read about thorns in the Bible is it's a result of our sin. That's where th thorns come from. And so we've just read Isaiah 53. He's bearing our iniquities. He's t carrying the penalty for our sin. How fitting that thorns that represent the result of our sin are what is placed on Jesus' head as a crown. He's being glorified through his suffering for us. This is the meaning of the gospel, the meaning of the cross, and why it's so powerful to meditate on what the cross means for us, that our sin is paid for, and it should humble us to think about, wow, like, I can't believe that my sin cost that to God. But then to let it lift us up again and say, I was worth the price of God's only son. And now I'm free. Now, now I have access to God again. Uh, one other moment later in Mark 15 that I think just really opens this up. After Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, uh, years later in Israel's history, they built the temple. And one of the interesting things about the temple is there's all sorts of garden, like, graffiti in the temple like yeah yeah the trees and it. cherubim and stuff all this all these garden images in the temple but there's this veil in the temple that says like okay like you're getting close to the garden again but like you can't go in you can't go back to where god threw you out except for the high priest once a year with the blood but when jesus dies it just mentions this in passing mark 15 and verse 37 and 38 and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. 
and the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. Like, what does that, what does that even mean? Why, why is that there? It's, we're, we're, go, we're going back into God's presence. In the garden, they were cast out. And now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood has been shed that can atone for our sins, wash them away. And now the way is open again. We can we have access to the very presence of God, and and it, it's back to the garden. Yeah, and it was by the blood of Jesus when His suffering ends, when He breathes His last. We have our access to God, and there lies the truth that God can forgive our sins because of the blood of Jesus. This really cool is cool because in Mark two, the idea of forgiveness of sins came up in a miracle of all places. It's very interesting. Because there was that guy in Mark 2 whose buddies removed a roof from a house that Jesus was in, and they lower their buddy down into the room uh, because they want him to get healed so he can walk again. And y'all remember what Jesus says to the paralytic whenever he gets down into the room? Jesus looks at the guy in 2-4 and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, that's not really what the guy came for. He came to be healed of his physical ailment. But as we've often been learning, this is another theme we could talk about down the road. Jesus always has an emphasis first on the spiritual and then secondly, the physical. This man had sin that needed to be forgiven. And the scribes are in there. They're reasoning in their own mind saying, oh, man, in verse 7, why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And there's kind of like an irony in that statement. We talked about that back in the episode, I think it was episode two, because they're right. Only God can forgive sins, but Jesus is God. Jesus is going to be the one who gives up his own life. His blood is going to be shed so that that man's sins will be forgiven. It's just such a cool idea in scripture, but God can forgive sins because Jesus's blood was shed. That's right. And what's amazing, and this gets into some deeper stuff we won't go into, is that the blood of Jesus flows both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, the sins that were committed before the cross are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And the sins that are committed after the cross are forgiven by the blood of Jesus when we respond in faith to God. And so even in this moment, uh, this man sins, uh, the paralytic, uh, he's forgiven by the blood of Jesus, even though Jesus hasn't died yet. <laughs> um, and of course, Jesus also has authority to forgive sins, but he, God is able to be just in forgiving our sins because of the death of Jesus, that God knew Jesus was going to do that. God doesn't relate to time like we do. And so he's able to forgive those sins because they've, they're paid for in Jesus. And, and so, this is really the, go ahead. I was just going to say, it leads us to the next question. And it's the question of how, how can I get the blood? How can I make sure that I'm accessing it? How can I make sure that I'm forgiven? Is it, is it just me saying in my head, I love Jesus. I'm glad that he did that. Or is there something required of me in order to access that blood of Jesus and say to him, I'm committing myself to you and I need you to forgive me. That's a really good question that I think a lot of people have, or in other words, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. And Mark ends with a note about this. We're going to do hopefully more on this in a, in a future episode. Uh, Because the good news is not, what do I need to do? The good news is what Jesus did. But there's still something, there are conditions that God asks of us. In Mark 16, 
and verses 15 and 16. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is sending the disciples out. Uh, and he says, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And we're going to see like throughout this, I mean, people ask to be, to repent. You're asked to take up your cross and follow Jesus. There's all these things that God wants us to do. And none of those things earn our salvation. The two things mentioned here are we got to have faith. We got to believe in Jesus, believe in the Lord, what he did. And we have to be baptized to be saved. Uh, but if you don't believe, then you'll be condemned. You're still in your sins. You're still guilty. The judge still has to say, nope, your sins have to be paid for and you don't have the payment for them. And so th this is the message that the disciples are taking out into the whole world. And of course, to read this, we're going to go through the book of Acts. Uh, you can see the rest of uh, this message carried out in the book of Acts. But it's so important to remember how God is able to save us is through the blood of Jesus. But what God asks us to, how God asks us to respond is by trusting him and by being immersed to, be, to receive the blood of Jesus and so be saved. Um, so I, I love how the gospel of Mark ends with this. It's actually kind of bookended with uh, baptism. Jesus was baptized and John was baptizing back in chapter one. And then we have this immersion, this baptism in chapter 16 that they're taking out to the whole world. And Lord willing, we'll talk about some more of those comparisons in, an, in a future episode on uh, also just the idea of the spirit descending on Jesus and the spirit's relation to baptism uh, in, in, that we learn about in Acts 2. And so it's a really cool idea. So Lord willing, we'll be talking about some of those things uh, in the next episode. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us for this episode of uh, as we reflect together on, on these themes in Mark. Um, if you enjoy what you're hearing on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review. Uh, that'll help us to reach more people. If you are interested in studying the Bible with us online, uh, look at capitalcitychristians.com or reach out to us personally, 717-585-0949 or drop us a line at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.